2: Welcome to Off The Bench
0: Summer Edition. All the big news and views from sport.
2: Hello and welcome to another edition of Off The Bench. Jason Matthews here this afternoon or tonight, wherever you're listening to the show. Uh, This week we're going to wrap up all the big sports news from the week, plus the best bits from Sports Day. We had a few. Um, from out the week. Um, I, I guess the biggest news story, well, there's been two. Two of the major news stories this week has been the Sydney Test and Dave Warner's last uh, test, playing on his home ground of the SCG. And the other one was uh, Jerome Lewa officially uh, coming to terms with the West Tigers and and making that announcement. Now, he'll join the West Tigers starting in 2025. Um, Daily Telegraph writer and sports journo Michael Karianis joined us to discuss this. Um, massive marquee signing for the West Tigers. Um, but again, as I say, not, for, not until 2025. We also talked about the 10-day cooling off period, which he considers a joke. I'm starting to think it's a bit of a joke as well. And, and further to this, as the week went on, we found out the Panthers weren't happy that the West Tigers sent out an email, and I think it may have been well, it definitely came to the media and it quite possibly uh, went to uh, all the members of the West Tigers. It was an image of Jerome Luai uh, in a West Tigers jersey. Now, quite rightly so. Quite rightly, The Panthers are saying, listen, he's still a Panthers player in 2024, so watch this space. I don't know if they're going to change that or not or whether it's just, you know, it's a bit of... Um, a bit of, well, we got him, we got him, so we're going to start promoting him. Uh, we also caught up with former Australian cricketer Simon Cadditch. Caddo was on the show and he had some great memories of David Warner when he won the BBL Champion League final in 07-08. What a team that was. There was a young Warner opening the batting with a bloke called Phil Hughes. What an amazing time that was. And what an amazing cricketer Phil Hughes was as well. You'll also hear three burning questions where we debate the goat of tennis. Has anyone actually debated that? Like, did we cause some controversy without even trying? Oh, I, I don't know. Um, who will replace Warner at the top of the order? And whether Lui will wear the six or seven jumper in 2025 at the Tigers. Chris Nelson, massive weekend of racing on the Gold Coast this gets set for the Magic Millions next weekend. But some big races this weekend. So Chris Nelson will join me. He'll have some tips for us as well. Remember, always gamble responsibly. Uh, but before we go any further, it's time for the dig segment. Thanks to Sherlock Willbarras. View the range at sherlocklastlonger.com.au. I'm having a dig at a couple of things this week. Um, and they're both cricket-related. One of them was the, the slow-over rate uh, at the start of the, uh, the third test. We managed to get 78 overs out on day one. Now, the Aussies didn't cop a fine because they bowled Pakistan out under 80 overs. But 78 overs out of 90 in a day's play? And when Nick Hockley, the CEO of Cricket Australia, was asked about that, he thought, no, I thought the fans had a fair day. No, the fans are going to watch 90 overs of cricket. And it was a good day. First day, it was unbelievable. So, yes, you're right. But my next question then is, why didn't we start a half hour early on day two of the test? Oh. I got ready. I turned the radio on to SEN, ready for the cricket to kick off a half hour early, because we had to make up 12. No, didn't happen. And the bad light call on day two. Come on. 2:30 in the afternoon. Uh, 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 international cricketers becoming soft, walking off. And and I'll tell you who's been dudded in both of these instances is the fan. Come on, cricketers. Start thinking of the people sitting in the seats playing a lot of money. Anyway, that's my dig. From the job site to your backyard, lighten the load with a Sherlock, available at Bunnings Warehouse. Rightio, let's kick off this week's Off the Bench. We spoke to Michael Carianos about the Jerome Lewis deal at the West Tigers.
3: Probably the toughest decision um, of my career and probably life so far. So without further ado, man, for 2025, I'll be heading to the West Tigers to continue my career. The obvious reason was a great opportunity for me to provide and create for my family, but um, also to create something for myself. I've had a great connection with Benji, and he's sort of, we've just spoken about the future and and what he sees in me and moving forward. So I'm really excited about it. Um, Excited about the challenge as well. Um, Like I've seen a few headlines about, you know, who would go from the top to the bottom sort of thing. And and it resonated with me just because um, I'm always backing myself to win no matter where I go, I'm excited for the challenge, like I said, and hopefully I can bring that that belief to the boys in 2025.
2: Yeah, Benji gets his man, uh, Jerome Luai, joining the West Tigers in 2025. Still another season to play out uh, at the Panthers. Joining us now, the man who's doing early hours at the moment, I don't know how he's doing it, uh, on SEN Breakfast with Jimmy Smith at the moment, and also uh, league writer for the Daily Telegraph and the Sunday telly, uh, Michael Karianis. Thanks for joining us on Sports Day
4: have no, pleasure. How are
2: you going? A big coup for Benji Marshall.
4: Yeah, huge signing for, for the West Tigers. Uh, it, it's a massive sort of confidence in Benji Marshall and his direction there because Jerome Law, you, know, he, you can't deny where he's standing in the game at the moment. Three-time Premiership winner, uh, New South Wales player, Samoan player, uh, You know, heading to the peak of his powers. And, you know, he's going to leave the three-time Premier to link up with a two-time Wooden Spoon. It's just unheard of. Uh, but he gets to be the main man. He spoke about that at the press conference today, um, stepping out of the shadow, I guess, of um, some of his Penrith teammates and gets to run the show, and uh, that's what he plans to do in 2025.
2: Now, we're just we're talking off the air today, uh, our producer, Colin, and myself. We're just talking about what's going to happen. Uh, at the moment, you've got Dewey in that position. He's only got one year left on his contract at the Tigers. You'd imagine they probably wouldn't go... With another year, if if, if is going to play in the six jersey, do you think he will stay in a six jersey, or can you see him moving to seven at the West Tigers?
4: Yeah, I think I think he'll wear the number seven. He wasn't sure on that today, but speaking of people in and around the West Tigers, that's definitely the plan, and it's more of a statement, uh, I guess, as well to say, you know, number seven, you're the director. Um, this is this is your side, um, so he'll, he'll get a chance to to do that. Um, he's done that for. Samoa a bit and, and run the side there and um, has had success in in um, Cleary's absence at the time for for Penrith as well. But yeah, he has to wear the number seven for mine. It's it doesn't make a difference to the way he plays, but it's just a bit more of a of a statement for him to to run around in, in that number seven jersey.
2: How big is this for the West Tigers in a broader sense? Now that they've got him, they've got Appy. Will this attract? Other good quality players to the club for 2025?
4: It'll make it a bit easier. Um, you know, when you've got Dureen Buller at fullback, Appy at nine, and, and now Lui in the Harps, that becomes an elite spine. When you look and you break down spines, that becomes a top eight spine. If you sat there and, and, and worked them all out, that's that's one of the best, well, edging towards the, the better ones in the competition and a far cry from what the Tigers have Produced or been able to put out in, in in recent years. You know they lost Luke Brooks heading into this year, and essentially they've replaced him with, with Jerome Luai. And um, you'd have to say that's an upgrade um, of what you know what Luke Brooks has been able to produce for for the Tigers in the last couple of years. And um, I think it will make it easier for them. You know they put out of Adam Finol Blake to solely focus on Jerome Luai, and um, they've been rewarded now with with, with a massive signing.
2: You were at the media conference. Uh it's a five year deal. Is it still worth about six mil?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a five year deal worth about one point two million dollars a season. So, you know, that'll take him to becoming one of the highest paid players in yeah. the competition. I think um Callum Pong is on about one point four, Munster's probably on a little bit over one point two around that mark. So, you know, he'd been in the top five highest paid players in the competition and you know, to his credit, he admitted that yeah, it's a risk when you're going to throw that sort of money at at, at someone, um, you know, there's going to be question marks if um, they're going to deliver or not. So, um, you know, there's no doubt about the expectation that's going to come with with such a big paycheck.
2: Hey, were the Bulldogs ever a chance, Michael?
4: Huge chance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huge chance. Um, Given his relationship with Cameron Serraldo, Stephen Crichton's one of his best mates is there, Kickouts there, Matt Burden's there. Um, It was probably... The easier choice, I guess, once he decided to leave Penrith, it would be to end up at um, the Bulldogs because of that connection that he has with Serrato and Crichton and the rest of the players that, that I mentioned there. And the fact that, you know, the, the rosters, um, you know, Canterbury were probably further along if you added him into the mix as well um, in, in terms of uh, a finals-bound roster. It's going to be a little bit harder at the West Tigers. But, you know, he's taken that plunge. He's taken that risk. And, Uh, You know, it's going to be such an interesting subplot to the 2025 season.
2: So, was the offer just not strong enough? Is that that the case?
4: Um, Well, the the West Tigers one was was superior um, in terms of monetary value, no doubt. But whether it was, you know, I don't think there was a huge difference between the offers. I think Tigers sat at the top and the Bulldogs and and then Penrith, if we're ranking them in terms of um, financial. Um, benefits for for Jerome, but I don't think there was a huge difference between the Canterbury offer and, and and the Tigers offer. It was the desire to play under Benji Marshall and and write his own history. I think is he, what he alluded to yeah, today.
2: Yeah, yeah, going from the penthouse to the you know what. Um, you've mm. been outspoken and and I, I made light of it at the start of this chat, but the CBA new ten day cooling off period. What what are your thoughts? It, it seems like it's been a bit of a mess.
4: Oh, it's a waste of time. It truly is an absolute waste of time. I don't understand it um, because it doesn't really mean anything. So, it, like Penrith waived that 10-day cooling-off period with Jerome, so it didn't come into calculations here. But if, um, for example, the, that, that he that the Tigers, that the Penrith didn't waive the cooling-off period, he could have quite a easily. Pe- the way it works is that the Tigers would have lodged a, a contract with with the NRL and said. Um, you know, this is the contract we're, we're going to offer Jerome. And so, then the so NRL would, would notify the Panthers uh, and right. say, look, we've received an offer for um, Jerome Lewis. Um, You know, you've got 10 days to, to respond. They won't know how much it was and they wouldn't know the club. Um, but at the end of the 10 days, there's no obligation for the player to take up that deal. So it's a waste of time. Yeah, right. It's an absolute
2: waste of time. So it'd be just easier if if... Jerome's manager went to the Panthers and said, we've got this offer. It's for this. Well,
4: it's, it's, or is it's to, it to, stop, to stop, stop the bluffing a little bit, I guess. Yeah, but right, it, yeah. It's, but you, the only way this can work and the only way I would support it is if at the end of the 10 days that player had to join that club. So there was genuine intent there to to sign with that club. Um, because it's not forced upon them, it's meaningless. It's a waste of time. And you can right. still play those games because – I can go sign for a completely different club. It doesn't have to be my incumbent club after that 10-day period. So um, I, I don't really like it, and I don't think the rules um going to be any benefit to the game whatsoever.
2: I think the further mess too, and I don't know what your thoughts, Michael Kariannis, what your thoughts are on this as well. The fact now that he's agreed to terms with the West Tigers and now he's got to play out a whole season at the yeah. Panthers, oh, I just think that makes... A mockery of it as well. It's like, I don't know why we can't have a window in the middle of the year where you can sign players for the following and after the season. I mean, how long do you need to get your ducks, ducks in line to be able to move clubs? I, I just, yeah, I don't know. How would Panthers fans be feeling today? Tigers fans would be looking at it and going, well, you know, do we write off 2024 knowing that 2025 is going to be a better year? I just think you sign for a club and you go there you know, sooner than what we we do now?
4: It's hard because, you know, a lot of fans don't like it. But on the flip side, what's the alternative? Like, Jerome has got this sort of out of the way in the off season. I'd I rather, if I'm a club, I'd rather have right. that sorted before a ball's kicked off instead okay. of the middle of the season and, and it becomes a distraction. Um, you know, everyone knows where Jerome's going and, and, you know, in the next couple of days that will settle. So there won't be a distraction. You know, during the season, and we've seen Penrith be able to cope with a amount a lot of players signing twelve months out, essentially to to join rival clubs. So, and, and on the flip side as well, um, it may give the Tigers fans some hope. You know, they'll look at your own play now a, a little bit closely and go, okay, if things don't go our way in twenty twenty four, well, at least he's coming. At least that may be, may yeah. be some hope and re engages. At fan base. I don't, I don't have a perfect solution, but I'm not totally anti right. um, the current system.
2: You just hope he doesn't get injured, right?
4: That's that's the big one. Of course, wait, you'd be crossing everything. Yeah,
2: of course. <laughs> hey, before that's I let the you risk, go. That's the risk. Before I let you go to bed, uh, Steve from Dubbo has been on the <laughs> text. Uh, he's right about the cooling off period, complete waste of time, but then goes on to say, I'm a big fan of Michael Kariannis, despite the fact he's a parabasher. Uh, any- uh, I
4: don't know. I've, got, I've- I don't know. I've developed this reputation over the last couple of days of bashing Para. I don't, I don't know. I just don't have them in my top eight for this year.
2: That's all, Michael. No issue with Para, Michael. This is Sports Day, mate. The listeners are brutal. All right, I just want to let you know that. And <laughs> hey, listen, I've got to ask you this before you go as well, Jack Cogger. How do you yeah. reckon he's feeling today?
4: Interesting one. My thoughts did go there. Um, a, a little bit. You know, would things have been different for the Panthers and, and Jack Cogger if they knew Jerome was leaving? I'm not sure, but he's taken up, you know, a good deal to return to the Newcastle Knights. Um, you know, 12 months to have a holding pattern for someone at his stage of his career as well might not have been ideal. Um, But yeah, it it, it is an interesting one and, and I wonder if uh, the Panthers might have flipped their their thoughts um, if, they had, if they knew what was coming. But you, you don't know. And, and a player of Jerome's ilk deserves that time. and um, Yeah. You know, so I, I don't think Penrith would have changed anything.
2: All right, Michael Karianis. we look forward to your, your words at the Daily Telegraph and the Sunday Telegraph. Thanks for joining us on Sports Day. Pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. There goes Michael Karianis, the best in the business. He knows his stuff. And, yeah, the news today that Luai has confirmed that he is going to the West Tigers for five years. Six million bucks from 2025. Big news. Big news for the club indeed. This is Off the Bench Summer Edition. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. This is
0: Off the Bench Summer Edition.
2: He's got that out of the middle and into the gap. He goes to 52. Brilliant batting. Simon Cadditch, you once again are making the most of an opportunity. It's his first test in Australia for some time. Three years, to be precise. Geez, I tell you what, you do well to get back into that Australian cricket team. He did it. How many times, first of all, welcome Simon Cadditch to Sports Day. How many times did you make your way back into the Australian cricket team? Was it, the tw- was it twice or were there, was there more times?
1: Marine, yeah, it was a couple of times, I think. Um, I got my debut in 2001 in, in the Ashes in England when uh, Steve Waugh injured his calf and I debut in the fourth test at Headingley and then uh, didn't get back in until I think it was sort of late 2003 against Zimbabwe in Australia and then, um, yeah, it was sort of in and out of that team for the next couple of years and then got back in for the final time in sort of mid-2008 so the West Indies tour, after being told a year earlier that I was never going to get picked again, so yeah, there was probably a few times, probably yeah, three or four maybe.
2: Yeah, geez, I tell you what, to be told that that, that might, it would have made you more determined, right?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, I think when I got told that in sort of April of two thousand seven, um, I was only—I think I was still only about thirty-one years of age. So I'd had a pretty good season the year before for New South Wales. So it came as a bit of a shock. But, um, yeah, it was nice to be able to um, prove them wrong and get back in there, and then yeah, I guess play my best Test cricket in my last period in sort of 2008 to 2010. Simon,
2: so, mean, you're a part of our SEN cricket commentary team, doing a great job with with the lads, Jarrett, Barrett, Sunderaz, and Collo, and a cast of thousands, including Flammo. Um, the the third Test kicks off tomorrow against Pakistan. Pakistan put up a brave fight in that second Test. At the MCG. Is there anyone from Pakistan and Australia that's impressed you most so far this summer? Yeah,
1: look, it was a fantastic fight from them. I think um, obviously they got off to a slow start on day one, uh, dropping David Warner corner early and then got Mitch Marsh in that second inning. So, you know, had they taken catches, I think everyone probably felt they were, you know, played well enough to win. But I think uh, for mine, you know, what's impressed me the most is that. They've come out and said they want to play the more aggressive style of cricket, which is not easy to do against Australia in Australia. So I think the way that the skipper led the way in Melbourne, Sean Massoud, and backed it up with the bat, whilst he didn't get a hundred, you know, he got a couple of fifties and played really well. So, you know, he was impressive to be able to go out there and, and walk the talk. Um, I've been impressed with Abdullah Shafiq. He hasn't got a massive score yet, but he got a really good sixty in the first innings. Looks a good player, uh, and he's still only young. And then in terms of their, I guess, their um, bowling lineup, you know, Shane Shafridi stands out, and he yeah. he's probably had a slow start in the series, but I thought, I thought he came to life, and at 2nd innings, inning's got done some early breakthroughs with um, Kawadra and Labashane and then, yeah, has stood up and, and bowled well, and he got fourth in the second inning. So they've had a number of players that, you know, probably aren't that well-known to Australian fans, but I thought their their spirit, they showed... In um, in Melbourne, and and probably the one that summed it up the most was uh, the youngster playing his second Test Amir Jamal, who got six wickets in Perth and then came out to uh, to bat and got thirty odd not out in Melbourne and and then uh, kept them in the game with some lower order partnerships. So yeah, they've had plenty of guys stand out, even Rizwan as well. He's brilliant and and probably uh, yeah, another day if things went his way, you know, Pakistan might have won that second Test.
2: Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, the 54 buys in the first innings didn't help either. You know, when you when you take those into consideration, if you knocked about 30 off those, it would have been a much closer match. Uh, for the Aussies, Mitch Marsh, is he the one who stood out?
1: Yeah, he's been superb. I think uh, you can really see it in his mindset. His game hasn't changed. It's just he's freed his mind up. And I think this time around, since he got back in the Ashes earlier in the year, He's made a conscious effort to be true to himself, which is to go out there, take the bowlers on, and normally does that in white ball cricket at the top of the order, but I think this environment that uh, Andrew McDonald and Pat Cummins have created, they're allowing each of the players to be themselves, you know, on and off the field with their individuality, and I think Mitch is a great reflection of that. Uh, he's played aggressively in both tests. He probably should have had two test hundreds in these first two tests. He got a beautiful in Perth, got 90, and then... The other day he had a bit of luck, got dropped on you know, twenty, uh, but then made them pay, and, and you know just fell short on ninety six of what would have been a you know richly deserved hundred. Given that Australia were under huge pressure mm. uh, at one stage, there four for sixteen, and he stood up and, and played the way that he wanted to play when he got back in this team, which is not that easy to do. You know when the team's under that sort of pressure and, and you want to play aggressively, but he did it, and um, yeah, you know, he's been brilliant so far.
2: Yeah, and Aussies want a character, don't they, to get behind. And we've got it in Travis Head. I feel like Travis Head should walk out to the middle with a long neck when he has a bat and just put it behind the, <laughs> behind, behind the stubs. But Mitch Marsh is, that, is another character that Aussies just fall in love with. now. And, in fact, I think I heard something during the last test at the MCG. Five or six years ago, he was booed from the field. Last test, last week, standing ovation.
1: Yeah, look, they certainly uh, appreciate him last week. I think he got a great reception. And he would have got an even bigger one if he'd gotten the three figures. But, um, yeah, you're right about Travis Sanders. There's a bit of worry about him, uh, in terms of how he looks with his, his moustache. And I think Mitch Marsh is, is uh, loving how he's playing. So I think at five and six, they've decided to double up with the moustaches <laughs> and, and try and outdo each other. So, um, yeah, look, I think what it does is it shows Australia have got a really... Uh, aggressive and dynamic, sort of five, six, and even seven, if you include Alex Carey, who likes to get on with it. So
2: yep.
1: I think if the top four, the engine room, do the bulk of the work early and, and sort of wear down the attack, which they, they did the other day, those guys can come out with a license and play aggressively. So it'll make for an exciting test team, if that's the case. And, um, yeah, all, all those guys in the middle order like to get on with it. So it's uh, it's not a bad spot for them to be in at the moment.
2: 2011, let's get on to Warner now. 2011, you retired from uh, Test Cricket. What's going through Warner's Warner's head as you think about your retirement from Test Cricket?
1: Well, I, wish, I wish I'd been able to retire the way he's been able to, but yeah. um, it unfortunately didn't quite work out like that. I got injured and never got, uh, never got back. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's the way things go. And, you know, time moves on. And, uh, in, you know, my, I guess, experience... It happened for a reason, and um, you know you move on with the rest of your life. But in Davey's experience now, you know he's going out really on a high. He's been able to go out at his home venue at the SCG, uh, played beautifully in Perth at the start of the series when the selectors hadn't guaranteed him, a, you know, a fairytale finish at the SCG. But he went out there and got a superb 164. So I don't think he could ask for a better way to finish. Um, you know, he's. He's going to go down as, I think, the second highest uh, amount of runs across all three formats um, as a batsman. And, and But as an opener, he's arguably our greatest ever all-format opener, um, given the amount of runs he's made across the three formats. And given that uh, T20 cricket probably wasn't played as much uh, in the previous era, it's sort of hard to compare between him and Matty Hayden. I think that Matty Hayden had played a lot more T20 cricket. He was... You know, just as aggressive, if not as aggressive as Davy and um you know you'd be putting those two probably on in the same echelon. But, you know, Davy um has just moved behind Ricky Ponning in terms of second on the most amount of runs for Australia in all three formats and he rightly deserves to be there. Um, you know, he's been an entertainer. He's batted at the top of the order, which is not the easiest thing to do against fresh bowlers in all formats. Albeit, you know, white ball cricket, that's the best place to bat, but in test cricket it's obviously a a greater challenge, but, um, you know, he can he can go away now very satisfied with what he's achieved in his career and um, know that, you know, the way he's gone about it. Yes, he's had, obviously, some issues at times. Obviously, it will happen in Cape Town, and I think, um, you know, that's made him polarising, but at the end of the day, um, the way he's been able to come back from that experience and then finish his career the way he has um, he's a testament to his character.
2: Simon Cadditch joining me on Sports Day. Simon, do you think he's gained back the full respect of the Australian public after what happened in Cape Town?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's hard to say full respect because I think there's always going to be an element of the public that um, didn't like what happened and, and rightfully so. I think, you know, everyone at the time, you know, a lot of us couldn't believe what the Australian team resorted to. But I think... To blame him entirely for that whole episode is probably pretty naive because I think, um, you know, in time, I've got no doubt, there'll be more said about it. And, um, you know, he he took the rap along with Cameron Bancroft and Steve Smith. But um, I think, you know, the public feel that there was more to it than probably just those three. But look, you know, at the time, uh, I think what he did was he kept his mouth shut after the initial sort of, you know, um, apology and then got on with trying to go back out there and and play as good a cricket as as he could. And, you know, that wouldn't have been easy to do. You know, he was able to come back and do that. For someone like Cameron Bancroft, you know, he hasn't been able to get back there playing for Australia. And it it just highlights how different and how difficult it can be for, you know, the different characters. But, um, yeah, what's done is done. But for for David to be able to get back to where he got to after such an enormous event like it was in Cape Town and, and obviously have our reputation tarnished the way it was um, you know it, it was significant to, to think that he was able to get back and play good cricket after that event
2: I asked a bloke last night that you played a fair whack of first class cricket against Chris Hartley former Queensland keeper I said what's your memory of Dave Warner and he said God he, he'd like to sledge what are your memories as a as a former teammate of his
1: well, I mean, I was fortunate enough to play with a lot of these current players now as New South Wales captain, you know, around sort of the 2007-2008 sort of season is when a lot of them started to filter into our team, At sort of 18-19, and I think Steve Smith debuted that season, so did Kowaja. I think so did, um, about a season or two later, I think Davey debuted, uh, so did Stark and Hazelwood a few years later, so... I feel like I'm reasonably well placed, and I think for me that probably the best memory is we went to the Champions League in 2009 um, for New South Wales after winning the BBL the year before, and we got to play in India. And um, you know, David opened the batting with Fi- the late Phil Hughes, and we had a really young team. Apart from probably myself, Brett Lee, and Stewie Clark, uh, the rest of the the team of kids, and it was yeah Warner, Hughes, Smith, Onreiks, uh, Stephen O'Keefe, and all these young kids, and we end up winning the title. And and Davey at the top of the order. This is only 2009, so he hadn't played for Australia yet. And and he and Phil Hughes just looked like they belonged at that level, and they'd only just been sort of started playing for New South Wales. So um, their energy, their skill, and I think probably more than anything, was it was their you know, firm belief in their own ability, and that's what stood out to me. Not in a arrogant way; it was, it was just they were confident, but in a really good way. And I, I think um, you've got to have that to make it at international level. And Davy certainly had that. And I think the other thing was that stood out was that for all of us in that group, um, you love to play with those guys, and Davy was was a big part of that. He, he had that infectious nature where. You know, he got stuck in, he trained hard, he, you know, the opposition knew he was a threat and you loved having those guys in your team. So, yeah, that was probably my
2: earliest memory of him. Jeez, mate, what a great lineup that was, eh? You would have been a pretty proud skipper with that lineup. Finally, we'll let you go. Uh, but before we do, who replaces him at the top of the order?
1: Yeah, I've said this for a couple of weeks now. Um, my thoughts are probably a little bit different at most. I mean, I know there's the three genuine openers in in Bancroft, Renshaw and and Marcus Harris. And I know they've all got their credentials Haven't played test cricket before, but in my opinion, I I think Cameron Green um, is suited to making a change and and getting up the top of the order. Um, The reason I say that, I think his first-class numbers are far superior to those three. I think he's a better player um, and a better all-round cricketer. And I think he's good enough to adapt to a new role. So... I think that um, he's batted at four. I know that's not opening, but he's batted at four a lot for WA in previous years and done. it's probably where he's played his best cricket. So I actually think coming in earlier will suit him better than batting at six. Um, But yeah, look, that remains to be seen what the selectors think. But I I think he's a long-term test player. um, You know, he, he didn't do a huge amount wrong earlier in the year when he got dropped in the ashes. He had a couple of bad tests. But I thought his preparation for that series wasn't great coming in off IPL. So I haven't probably judged him that harshly on on, on that purely because he's still a young player and um, because he didn't have ideal lead in. And, and that's great learning for him. But next time he goes to England, he's got to be far better prepared against a moving Duke's ball than he was this time around.
2: All righty-o. Tom and Cadditch, thanks for your time on Sports Day. My pleasure. This is Off the Bench Summer Edition. We'll be back soon.
0: Welcome back. This is Off The Bench
2: Summer Edition. Toolkit Depot, tools, equipment, safety gear and workwear. Three burning questions. Okay, let him rip. Spoke about a bit off air, Jace, but mm. uh, want to know.
0: Now, one name. I'm going to limit you to one name. Mm. Who will be the opener for the test against the West Indies on the 17th of January?
2: Can I give you who I want and who I think? Yep. I'd like Travis Head. But I don't know. I don't. There, is, there is some talk around Chris Green
0: mm.
2: opening the batting.
0: Yep.
2: But I'm actually thinking, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying this, I think it'll be Steve Smith. Really? New challenge. Oh. Steve Smith. But I don't agree with it with because. With Huh? With Uzi. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with it because Steve's on the wrong side of 30. So we're not talking about a long plan here. Stint, yeah. But anyway, look, if that gets us through India playing some test matches against us at the end of this year. The only other thing too, take into consideration, including today's test, the two tests against the West Indies, the two tests against New Zealand in March, Australia are only playing like eight tests this year. So once they finish playing New Zealand in March, they don't play a test match again until November when India come out. So it's not something they have to rush with. So maybe they'll just put Smithy at the top of the order for West Indies and New Zealand, then look at it after that. But I think Steve Smith will be opener.
1: Mm.
0: Do Do you think if they go down that road, they'll just continue to monitor form of everyone else?
2: Well, if, if, if they go down that road, they'll have to bring in another batsman. And it's, it's going to be one of those three that everyone's talking about. Harris, Renshaw, um, or Bancroft.
0: Will Bancroft ever get a go again?
2: No. I don't think so. I'd Black be listed. surprised.
0: Yeah. Even at higher in, the, uh, higher in the order?
2: Well, I don't know. But the, I'm, I'm hearing talk today that it's Smith who's going to open the batting. Bancroft is an opener. I, I would bring Renshaw in, put him at four. Right. I think Ren short that we need some youth. Good mm. chance to to blood in that youth.
0: Now, uh, Rafa was successful
2: in his return to the court today. Yeah, Brisbane International. Is he playing Nadal playing at Brisbane International? I yeah. saw. Yeah. yeah. How good's that? Yeah, awesome. Great for the You for ever the local been to court. a tennis match? I have, yeah. I've been in to Perth. one. I've been to one and it was at the Brisbane International. All oh, right. And it was only the it was only the women's tournament. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's a good atmosphere. Well, I didn't enjoy the price of the beer. It was about 12 bucks. <laughs> I didn't like that. That's cheap these days. I was the only one buying a beer, I, I think. It was just full of chicks <laughs> in the crowd. <laughs> and the food's good. When you've got a sporting contest that attracts women, have you noticed the food varieties are a lot better?
3: Oh, like there was no I don't couldn't take much
2: notice. There was no Chico Rolls that I could put in my pocket and walk back to my seat like I do at the cricket. We've got a Chico Roll shirt on. Oh no, it's so good. <laughs> But, Don't you know, that's, that that's why Chico Roll's so good. You can buy uh, four beers, right, in the tray, and you just shove your Chico Roll in your pocket. Oh, how good. And walk back to your seat. But anyway, what's your <laughs> question about?
0: Uh, now, yesterday, Rafa came out and said, Novak, no, he's not the greatest of all time. It should be Rod- Roger Federer. So uh, who do you think is the goat of tennis, Jace? Now, there's some numbers here. Novak's 24 Grand Slams, Rafa mm. 22, Roger Federer 20.
2: Well, on the numbers, it's Djokovic, right? Yeah. So Novak Djokovic should be the joker. Joke. <laughs> but I think there's a bloke who played in the 60s who was pretty handy, Rod Laver. Mm. And he, I mean, he was unbelievable. And he, he played in an era where they didn't have first class travel like they do now you know, sports science and, you know, massage every five minutes and all that sort of stuff. And he's a guy who played on all different surfaces, grass, clay, timber. They played on timber. He played He played That's on wild, hard eh? court as well. So I reckon Rod Laver, for me, is, is the goat right. of tennis because tennis is different now. Um, I think Roger Federer on and off the court, but, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say Rod Laver, or Novak Djokovic, you can't. I mean, you can't I? The fact that Novak Djokovic has won twenty four Grand Slam titles—pretty mm. good, right? Yeah, he's uh, pretty and dialed. It's, and it's tennis. Who cares? <laughs> it's cricket a season. Lot, a lot, I'm doing a lot what would Sa- disagree. A lot would no, disagree. but I'm doing what Sats does. It's cricket season. I don't want to talk about tennis until the Australian Open final, mate. We hey, here- up until last week, we were, to- we're all all talking about Adam van Blake. mate. Tonight we're talking about <laughs> Luai. Like, can everyone just leave? Well, that, that's our next question. Can everyone leave my bloody cricket alone? Uh, I don't want to be talking about Adam Fenua Blake in November. <laughs> just insert Jerome Luai into that, Kerry. Could you? <laughs> right. What's what's the Luai question? Third
0: um, one. Um. Now, obviously signed, like you mentioned before, yeah.
2: with the Tigers. Do you think
0: he'll wear the seven or six jumper?
2: Good question. Because they still need a seven, don't they? They still. Well, need... they've
0: signed Aiden Caesar.
2: Mate, now, please. Now, he's an out-and-out out seven. Yeah, but he's not a good seven.
0: No, but he's an out-and-out out seven. Yeah, but I, he's not good. I think Benji has challenged uh, Luai and said, you can come to the club
2: and control our team.
0: I think he's going to step into the seven jumper.
2: But is not a controller. He's a creator. Ne- neither was Benji,
0: but he ended up in the seven jersey.
2: Yeah, later in his career, did yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, oh, I don't know. I, I think I think, Luai plays his best footy when he just sees what's in front of him, right? Mm. I mean, you've got Cleary plays that role, and that's when Luai plays his best footy. I can't see Luai taking on that responsibility. I can't see that. I think he needs a strong seven. Um, I think he'll play six, but I know it's going to come up Uh, with our Safe with Suncorp segment in just a moment. But we're going to talk about Adam Dewey Mm. and what his role is, because I do believe they need a strong seven. Yeah. And I think they're going to go looking for one.
0: Brandon Wakem played pretty well this year, but like you said, he's not that out-and-out, you know, dominant
2: halfback. He needs someone who's structured, Luai. And maybe Caesar is the structured guy. Maybe he is. Maybe he's just going to play a simple role of, you know, getting the team around the pack, getting to the kicks, all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, and Loi is the creator. Maybe but that can work. They've
0: only signed him for one year,
2: have they? Yeah. Well, we'll see how he goes. Yeah. But well, you ain't know his true value until he actually lines up with Loi. That's the thing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, he's been around a while. Caesar, mm. He's had a few clubs.
0: I reckon Loi would go well with like a Jamal Fogaday. Yeah, or who? That's, Jamal Fogaday. That's how you say his name.
2: It's Fogaday. Fogaday, no, no, Fogaday.
0: It's no, I think that's the that's the. Are you the, serious? The proper
2: way you pronounce it. No, it's not. Yeah, it's Fogarty. Fogarty. Yeah. But you said a day.. It's either Fogarty or Fogarty. That's, not, that's I've, good. No, I've heard it pronounced.
0: Oh no, you're like right.
2: It. I was actually thinking to him. Yeah, the Canberra halfback. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're right. I, I don't know. What do you think? Go 6, 7, 3, 6. Oh, I don't care. It's cricket season. Toolkit Depot, everything you need under one roof, tools, equipment, safety gear and workwear, in store or online. This is Sports Day. This is Off The Bench Summer Edition. We'll be back soon.
0: Welcome back. This is Off The Bench Summer Edition. Time for a racing update for Racing Queensland. Racing action continues every day across the Sunshine State. Check out racingqueensland.com.au for where
2: Queensland is racing today. I know. Um, I wonder if he's going to give us some tips for the weekend. Well, he has to. He has to. I tell you what, massive, massive meeting on the weekend uh, at the Gold Coast this weekend, Chris Nelson.
3: It, Joe, Great to chat. And, yes, you did right. It's a massive meeting. It's the first week... Of the first Saturday of two Saturdays, of course, of the Magic Millions Carnival, culminating in the big races next week. Still, we have some really good racing uh, this week on the Gold Coast. The track, this is unbelievable. The track is already back to a soft five. There you go. If you can believe that. Already back to a soft five. So by the time we get to probably tomorrow, we'll be on a good four. So nice. I I think there's something like between maybe zero and eight mils of rain forecast, so that's not going to make any difference whatsoever. So the new track... Uh, has performed really well under uh, very trying conditions over the last seven days or so. Uh,
2: where else are we racing this weekend?
3: Well, as we discussed last uh, earlier in the week, we're racing at Bell, yes. which is a non-TAB meeting, which we know is in that Darling Downs region, Well, out, pa, out, uh,
2: out, near, out near Dalby. Out Dalby, I should on.
3: say. Yeah, out near Dalby, that's right. Uh, Ipswich, we have a meeting at Ipswich also on Saturday. We have a meeting, obviously, at the Gold Coast. Now, the features are the Wave. 1,800-metre race worth $250,000 for three- and four-year-olds. A couple of uh, $250,000 Class Fours, a couple of $250,000 Maidens, and the two-year-old Gold Nugget and the two-year-old Gold Pearl. They have nine races to get through. A uh, big day there, and Sunday we race at the uh, the Sunshine Coast. So we're back there, and don't forget, Jace, Next week, yes. Of course, we have the Barrier Draw on the yes. beach on the beach on Tuesday morning. That's always a massive highlight.
2: You and I will be there, no doubts, uh, along with uh, Patton Hills. They're broadcasting live, and Gareth Hall from SEN Track. Uh, let's hope we can contain all our horses uh, this year. I remember I was walking back to my car. I'm going, yes. Why is there a horse running along the Gold Coast Highway?
3: Yeah, I'm glad that uh, all ended up okay, because that, was, that could, have been, could have been very dangerous, but it worked out okay, but I'm sure that won't happen this time around.
2: Yeah. Do you want very, some tips? Uh, yes, please, mate. What do you got for us for Saturday?
3: Race five, number nine, certainly can. I think can certainly win, even from the wide gate. Race seven, number one, the vowels in the wave, the major race. I think uh, the Edmonds team can win that. Race seven, number one. And the last race, one each way here at Double Figures. Race nine, number eight, Warby. And Golan trains racing really well this prep. Awkward gate will get back but run on strongly. Race nine number eight each way.
2: All right, good luck with that this weekend, folks. Check out racingqueensland.com.au for where Queensland is racing today. Chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Thanks, Nelson. Thanks, Jace.
3: Have a great weekend.